0: Lord, we recognize our great need for you. We ask that you would be at the center. Lord, we look to you, and as we turn to your word, we ask that you would meet us in these pages, that we would encounter you Lord, we choose to open our hearts and our minds and to be ready to receive what you would want to say to us this morning. Help us to respond, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please do take a seat. (coughs) For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, June. And um, to add my welcome to mics from earlier on. Um, Okay, so we're on to uh, prayers of thanksgiving in our sermon series on prayer. Now, when you watch a TV drama, they often give you a recap of what's happened um, before. So I I would need a deep American voice, really, to pull this off. But they would say something like, previously, in the history of Israel. so that's, that's what we're looking at today is just thinking about what's happened before and then we'll, we'll come on to our reading. Hannah, uh, who's the kind of main character in our story, is married to Elkanah. Sadly, she is not the only one. Elkanah has two wives and this isn't the Bible condoning bigamy, by the way. We see time and time again through scripture when a man marries more than one woman, it doesn't lead to a, and they all lived happily ever after. And that's exactly the same in this situation. Elkanah is also married to Penina. Penina can have children, Hannah can't. Elkanah loves Hannah more than he loves Penina. Penina taunts Hannah because she can't have children. So, Hannah goes to the house of the Lord and she pours out her soul in anguish before the Lord. She prays that if only God will give her a son. She will give the child back to God. Her prayer is answered. She gives birth to a son who she calls Samuel. Hannah weans him and then she takes Samuel, her only son, and she gives him to Eli, the priest. It will now be Eli who takes care of Samuel and not Hannah. She has given her child to God. And that brings us to our reading, which is 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to um, 11. Yes, so if you want to bring the Bibles round, um, it is helpful to, I know we have the the readings on the screen, but it is helpful to have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or, um, you know, old-fashioned paper version, um, just to make sure I'm not making it up as I go along, you know, to... Do double check that I'm I'm reading it right. So, as I say, we're in um, one Samuel chapter two, verses one to eleven, and in the church Bibles, that's on page two seven two, page two seven two, and it reads. Then Hannah prayed and said, "My heart rejoices in the Lord." In the Lord my horn is lifted high, my mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord, there is no one besides you, there is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly, or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows and by him, deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and makes them, an in, makes them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants But the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppress the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God okay well let me start um, with a quote from a very highbrow heavyweight theological source like of Candleford Um, it's a period drama for those of you who don't know. Um, There's a character in in, um, the drama that says, to love is to lay ourselves open to loss. That is the deal we make with ourselves because it is worth it. To love is to lay ourselves open to loss. That is the deal we make with ourselves because it is worth it. And this morning as we consider our reading, I just want to acknowledge that today may be a challenge for some of us, and this reading may be a challenge for some of us, whether it is about loss whether it's about challenges within family dynamics, whether it's about infertility, all of these things can be massively challenging and painful. And so I want to encourage us to be kind to ourselves and to one another. If you need to zone out for a minute and just focus on your breathing or something else or take a moment, that's absolutely fine. Please do that. Um, Also, there will be prayer available at the end of the service. So if something touches a nerve and you'd like to pray with somebody, then please do seek somebody out um, at the end of the service. So uh, this, uh, this sermon is entitled Prayers of Thanksgiving. Uh, I'd like to suggest that God in this passage is doing something much deeper and more loving than simply getting Hannah to say her pleases and thank yous. Immediately before Hannah gives thanks in our reading, she gives her child she gives the answer to her deepest prayer, her deepest longing back to the God who has answered that prayer. And so as I've been thinking about this reading, I've really been puzzling. Why is it that Hannah gives thanks after she's given away the answer to her prayer? So this is what I'd like us to consider today. Why is Hannah giving thanks in such difficult circumstances? What is God up to here? And we're gonna cover four points. Uh, You know, I like my alliteration. Uh, So those four points are released to rejoice, revering the God of reversals, revealing a future reign, and relying on the rock. So released to rejoice. Childlessness in biblical times had a massive stigma. Women were often seen as lesser anyway, and one of the primary roles that a woman might have is to bear children. Having lots of children was also about financial security, a bit like paying into your pension. Um, Who would run your family business when you no longer could? Who would look after you in your old age? So why does Hannah, who has just given away the answer to her prayers, then Give thanks to God in the in the way that we've just seen. I wonder whether you've ever had a deep longing that became so huge that it flavoured everything about life. It might be a desire for a child or to be married or for your dream career. And of course, none of those things are wrong, but those desires can if we let them, overshadow everything. They can um, weigh heavily in terms of our emotional energy and our headspace, the kind of longing which becomes oppressive and draining. Tim Keller uh, suggests that what's happening in Hannah's story is her saying, when she makes this agreement before God, all my life I've wanted a child for me. Now I want a child for God. He says what we see here is God releasing Hannah from the idols of her time. And we can think about an idol as being a good thing that we turn into an ultimate thing, something that we end up worshipping, that we allow to rule and reign in our hearts before you start composing your complaint emails to Mike, I'm not saying that all parenting is, a, is um, idol worship. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But maybe Hannah's desire for a child speaks to her very identity, who she believes she is. If she can't, have a, if she can't be a mother, if she can't have a child, especially in that culture, who is she? Yet when Hannah prays this prayer of thanksgiving, if you notice, she's no longer focused on who she is. She's not giving thanks because of what has, God has given to her. She's given thanks because of who God is. She recognising recognizes him in verse 10 to be the God Almighty who thunders from heaven and will judge the ends of the earth. There's something quite remarkable that has happened. The woman who poured out her soul before God for a child is then able to declare to God, there is no one besides you. Hannah's prayer starts with these words, my heart rejoices in the Lord, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. Now this mention of horn um, relates to strength. So um, a different translation, the Common English Bible translates that phrase as, my strength rises up in the Lord, And as was often the custom at that time, actually Hannah's prayer is bracketed with this idea of strength, both in verse 1 and in verse 10. Hannah is not describing feeling drained, consumed or oppressed by her longing. She's describing her strength rising up in the Lord. Something has shifted. Have you ever thought where your strength is? We might say, well, my strength rises up in my career or my Instagram following or my strength rises in my relationship status or the size of my family. Hannah can give thanks even in these difficult circumstances because God has done a work in her, releasing her from the idols of her time, releasing her to rejoice not in her circumstances but in God. Has Hannah stopped loving Samuel? No, not remotely. Can you imagine anything more precious than a child you have so desperately longed for and feared would never arrive? So precious. So shouldn't we be a bit curious as to what it is that Hannah has encountered in God that means she can say to God, in all truth, there is no one besides you. It isn't that she's, she loves Samuel any less. She has encountered God in a life-transforming way and nothing now compares to him So that's release to rejoice. <clears throat> Our second point revering the God of reversals. So we see Hannah praying out and then playing out this perplexing reversal. If you give a child to me, I'll give him right back to you. In fact, when we look at Hannah's prayer, she describes God as being in the work of reversal. Have a look at this. The warriors are unarmed, but the weak are given strength. The full are hungry, the hungry are full. The barren woman has children, the mother pines for them. Death and life, poverty and wealth, humbling and exalting. This kind of reversal can be a bit unnerving um, when my brother started going out with his partner, um, before I met her, he said, oh, you'll really like her, she's shorter than you. <sighs> I am very short. Um, and, uh, and she is shorter than me. And it was really unnerving because I'm usually the shortest person in the room, shy of ch- some children, not all children. Um, so it was actually quite unnerving to not be the shortest person in the room. And I think we can find discomfort in this reversal. We might feel a bit of discomfort the way Hannah talks about her enemies. In verse one, my mouth boasts over my enemies. We recognise that she has really suffered at the hands of Penina. But we don't want to enjoy our enemies' downfall. We know Jesus tells us to love our enemies. So what is God up to here? I think what we see is a clear sense of God being ultimately in control. In the previous chapter, chapter one, we're told that God had closed Hannah's womb. We recognise the pain for Hannah is really significant. Yet it does seem to be that at that time, it was God's will that she didn't have children. I think we need to be really, really careful about our understanding of suffering and unanswered prayer. I'm sure some of us will have heard teaching that says says things like, Christians are never meant to suffer, that it's a lack of faith or a hidden sin which causes prayer to be unanswered. But I'm not sure that the consistent narrative of Scripture supports those beliefs. God's plan in this story is that Hannah, at that time, was unable to have children. Excruciatingly painful for Hannah, though that was. Suffering isn't straightforward, So rather than offering cheap answers, we need to be able to show dignity to those who are suffering or wrestling with unanswered prayer with the recognition that these things are complicated. God has a much, much more loving agenda than simply to give us everything we ask for. Penina gloated that she could have children and Hannah couldn't, as though Penina could somehow take the credit. But it is God who allowed Penina to have children. Beware, Penina, because things change. Sometimes in the blink of an eye, we lose the skills we once had Somebody else gets the upper hand. There is a fragility to life. Things we thought were firm crumble under our feet. Our idols are ineffectual. Our strength will not always give us success. As verse 9 tells us, it is not by strength that one prevails. To love is to lay ourselves open to loss. Remember that quote things change. Children grow up and move away. Relationships break down. Our loved ones die. Hannah can give thanks even in these difficult circumstances because God has shown himself to be the God of reversals. It is in him that Hannah finds strength. Circumstances may change God does not. So Hannah can say to God, there is no one besides you. So let's then think about revealing a future reign. I started by giving a, previously in the history of Israel, um, what Hannah says in verse 10, if you have a look at that, Whether she knows it or not is a little bit like saying, next time in the history of Israel, she's talking about things that haven't yet happened. She says, He will give strength to his king and exhort the horn of his anointed. It reveals something about what is going to happen in Israel. She's praying about a time Israel will have kings. At this point, there are no kings in Israel. In fact, The first kings will be anointed by Hannah's son, Samuel. He'll quite literally be a king maker. And one of those kings will be David. Just as a a bit of an aside here, um, some of you might have noticed this already. I'm struck by the similarities between Hannah's prayer here and Mary's song, Mary the mother of Jesus, which can be found in um, Luke 1. Um, And if you want to find out more about that, there's a really good um, Bible Live episode that Mike and uh, Louise did back at Christmas time. really worth a listen. So Mary, in Mary's song, she sings, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. She goes on to say, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. You notice that theme of reversal and it's possible isn't it that Mary would have been familiar with Hannah's prayer but we see this God of reversal at work. In Hannah's prayer verse 10 she's looking for a time her son will anoint kings. One of them, as I say, will be King David, who is an ancestor of Jesus. And of course, we know that Christ means anointed one. So when Hannah is praying, um, and he will exalt the horn, the strength of his anointed, could it be that beyond giving a nod to King David, Hannah is even talking about Jesus, who will one day come to judge the ends of the earth. Hannah can give thanks even in difficult circumstances because she believes that God is working out his plans and purposes. The future is secure. So Hannah can say, there is no one besides you. And finally then, relying on the rock. In verse two, Hannah declares, there is no rock like our God. There is no rock like our God. I wonder if we can say that in our own lives. He is what is stable and sure. Or are we relying on other things? Remember our quote, to love is to lay ourselves open to loss. Except when it comes to God. God might ask us to lay things down and so there's a loss from that perspective. But when we follow God, we are never at risk of losing him. His love His mercy. There is only one who is solid, reliable, secure enough for us to build our life on. The idols of Hannah's time, the idols of our time, will let us down. They cannot consistently meet our longings. There is no rock like our God. Hannah can give thanks even in difficult circumstances because she's found something solid to rest on, to rely upon. Is this the rock we rely on? Not necessarily relying on him to change our circumstances, but relying on him to be at work within us, to release us so that we can rejoice in him. This God of reversals, he seeks out the marginalised, those scorned by society, and he honours them. But more than that, this servant king, this powerful one, Became weak. Life surrendered to death. The one who offered living water at the cross said, I thirst. The Holy One died a criminal's death. The beauty of heaven was beaten and broken. But here's the good news. Through this reversal ministry at the cross, though our sins are red as scarlet, he makes them white as snow. He brings us from darkness into light. He makes the sinner a saint. He makes the orphan a daughter, a son. He takes us out of the miry clay and sets our feet upon a rock, a firm foundation, a safe place where we no longer need to pursue the idols of our time. We can rest in him. There is freedom. Not freedom to live our lives as we choose, not freedom from suffering, but freedom to worship Him. In His great, great mercy, God cares deeply about a reordering of our loves so that we might be free to rejoice, really rejoice in Him. Are there things that we are holding on to too tightly? Whether that's the reality here and now or the hope of something in the future. Are we able to lift our gaze from those things and turn our attention to the rock? To loosen our grip? To hold some of those things with open hands counterintuitively if those things that we're trying to hold on to are relationships as we loosen our grips we might actually see an improvement there's a release from pressure and expectation so what if we could open our hands and invite god to reorder the loves in our life what if we could cry out to God with everything that we are for freedom that God would release us as he has released Hannah so that we can live our lives saying Lord there is no one besides you let's pray Lord God, we worship you. We recognise your worth. But we know that there have been times that we've placed other things in front of you, where we've desired things more than we've desired you. And Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. And would you do this releasing work in us so that we are free to rejoice in you? We are free to worship you. Come, have your way in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.